and open our hearts that we might receive it. Not simply as something which makes us smarter sinners, but something which transforms us by your power as we obey your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, as you know, uh, if I can get that first slide, guys, that'd be great. Uh, we have been looking at the essential building blocks of the church, or the things that a church must have and must do in order to be a church according to God's definition of what a church is. And according to God's Word, a church must possess three necessary marks of orthodoxy, order, and ordinances, and three necessary works of evangelism, edification, and exaltation. In other words, to be a church, a gathering of believers, must be founded on and believe and proclaim the truth of God's Word, be governed by biblically qualified leaders, practice Jesus' commanded ceremonies of baptism and communion, and also share the gospel, build up the resulting believers in maturity, and worship God together in community. Uh, if you you know you're familiar with the, uh, the 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 term we have politically and with the criminal justice system of a mandatory minimum sentence, you know a guy goes away, you get three strikes and you're out. It's the mandatory minimum, right? These things are the mandatory minimum of what a church has to have and do in order to qualify as a church. There's a lot of organizations out there that might identify themselves and say that they are a church. But if they don't have and do these things, then they're not a church. Uh, Whatever their sign says to the contrary, this is what God's mandatory minimum is. And last week we were looking at evangelism, which is the Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation of of the gospel to all people everywhere. And this week, what we're going to do is look at edification, which is a good theological word, uh, maybe a $50 crossword puzzle word, for uh, helping people who come to faith in Jesus Christ to grow in maturity uh, in Christ. It's the word for what the church does together to help each other to grow up and to exhibit practical holiness. In other words, to begin to live like Jesus, and it's something that we do as a body together. And there's a whole lot of Scripture that addresses this issue of edification and how the church does that. But for today, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. Uh, We're going to be going fast, um, so try to keep up. Um, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, when I was in college, I read this book. I took this leadership class. Uh, in preparation for um, being, having a, a, a job on campus. Uh, and they had us read this book by Stephen Covey uh, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? Now, Stephen is not a believer in Jesus, as far as I know. Um, but every now and then, even a blind hog finds an acorn, all right? 
And, and one of the acorns that's there in that book is he says, you need to begin with the end in mind. And it's a, good, it's a good principle for life. It's a good biblical principle also. And if I want to restate these verses for you uh, in, in a little more contemporary way, that's what that means. That's what Paul is talking about. That now that you have come to know Christ, now that you know Him, we have a great end that we are looking forward to. Our Savior is coming for us. And we will reign with Him and live with Him in glory. And if that is true, that ought to affect our life today. It ought to change some of the things about how we respond and how we, how we think and what our goals are for this life. Amen? Uh, Paul is speaking in verse 1 in what might be called the prophetic present tense. And he's speaking to us, in other words, about things that haven't happened yet in our experience as if they have already happened to us because they are certain to occur. In other words, we have not yet been raised up with Christ in our experience. Uh, Any of y'all ascended to heaven yet? Okay, if you have, see me afterwards, we need to talk, (laughs) all right? That has not happened to me yet either, right? But as a believer in Christ, I know for certain that that is going to happen. How do I know that it's going to happen? Because God's promises to me are certain, and they always come to pass. And so Paul speaks of this event as if it has already occurred. He says, since you have been raised up with Christ... Christ, in other words, we've already been raised up with Christ by faith. Therefore, Christ is the end goal of our lives. And we long to live like and to live with and to reign with Jesus Christ. And since He has saved us already, it changes everything about me and my life. Amen? It changes my focus from myself to Him. It changes my mind about Uh, what I think is important and valuable about what is really satisfying. It changes the things that I am seeking to gain out of this life. According to verse 3, why does all that change? It changes because I'm already dead. My old life has already died. And I've got a new one. I was my me and my old sinful self has already been executed. I already put it to death. When I put my faith in Christ, I held my life under the water until it quit bubbling. Okay? And then I was raised to new life in Christ by faith. And I and I now am living that new life. And my old self died when I put my faith in Christ, and my new life has been concealed. I love that word. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, at my house, we don't have a lot of valuable stuff, really. You know, we don't have like, you know, 
big stacks of gold coins or anything like that. We don't have anything really. Uh, if somebody broke into our house, you know, we're out like eight bucks, right? <laughs> okay. But we do have a few things that we treasure, right? And we have, and we have a, um, and we have a, we have a safe that we store some of these things in. You know, we store the negatives for our wedding pictures in the safe, right? Uh, Karen and I had our will done a few years ago, you know, so that my brother would know what to do with uh, what stuff we do have uh, if both of us would happen to die, right? And that's in there. There's some other, you know, some other stuff in that thing, right? And, and that stuff is, is two things. It's both hidden and secure, right? When that door shuts, you can't see through it. Uh, but it's secure. You know, there's like a one-hour fire rating on that safe, right? Um, and so unless it's a really bad fire, that stuff will make it through. In the same way, our lives have been placed, in a, in, we have been placed with Christ in heaven. And, and in, in a sense, they are locked away and secure for us. As if we are already there. Uh, and though I'm not yet glorified, glory is coming when Christ comes in glory. And so I now need to look at my life with the end in mind. It's not that Jesus is going, is, you know, when it talks about Jesus is coming back, it's not, you know, I heard some messages like this growing up in church, you know, Jesus could be coming back today and you wouldn't want to find, you know, he wouldn't want to find you at the movies, you know, he might whack you. Right? It's not that that's not to be our motivation, right? It's that it's that Christ is coming back and we have so much better to look forward to than anything that is present in this life. One of my favorite restaurants uh when it used to be over here at uh Grand Prairie Mall was Johnny's Italian Steakhouse. Okay? And they had a, a, a filet, and then they would put crab meat on it, and asparagus, and this Bernays sauce. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Every fat cell in my body sang the Hallelujah Chorus when that came out. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. It was marvelous. Right? You get it slightly red in the middle. Oh, yeah. It's great. Okay. Now, if I know that I'm on my way to have that and someone were to offer me a cold chicken McNugget. I've eaten chicken McNuggets. Okay, they're fine. They will keep body and soul together if all else fails, right? But if I've got Johnny's Italian Steakhouse to look forward to, McNugget is not really an appealing item, right? And, and that's part of what Paul is saying, that Christ is coming in glory and our lives are hidden with Christ. They are kept secure by the living God in the presence of God. And we have been saved and we have been raised up with Christ and therefore we have a lot to look forward to. And the things of this life, therefore, ought to fade away and pale in comparison. Amen? 
And so that leads him to a, to a couple of conclusions. And, and the first one is, if Christ is coming, and He is, and if we have been raised with Christ, and we have, and if our lives are kept by the Lord secure, like treasures in a storeroom, then what do we do? Well, number one, we kill our sin. Let's see that uh, verse 5 and following there. Put to death, uh, go to the next slide there, guys. Uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... You have been put. You must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here, there is not Jew, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all. And in all. Now you need to notice here that Paul is not making suggestions. He's not saying, you know, it would be good, it would be better for you if you avoided these sins. In the original Greek here that underlies our English translation, verse 5 begins with a command. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in other words, we are being ordered to put sin to death. And he lists several varieties of sin that we need to get busy killing. And first he says, sexual immorality. Uh, It requires two words in English, but in Greek it's one word. It's the word pornea. Which is a, it's the word that we get our English word pornography from. But it's a theological junk drawer word that refers to sexual sin of all types and kinds. It's used to describe everything from prostitution to uh, sex outside of marriage to homosexuality, bestiality, whatever you can come up with, this word covers it. And then if you haven't gotten. If you, in case there's one that maybe somebody thinks, well, maybe there's an exception here, he throws another word on there, which is even broader, which, he, which gets translated into our Bible, impurity. And then he goes to, uh, then, he, then he goes to passion, which refers to lustful thoughts. So in other words, it's not just, it's not just what you do with your body that matters. It's also what's going on in your mind and with your thoughts. And, that's, and that needs to, if you have sinful desire, sinful actions toward another human being, you've got to take that out and put it down like old Yeller at the end of the movie. That's the idea, okay? So you've got to kill this off. These things do not belong in a Christian's life. 
if we are looking forward to Jesus coming and being with him in glory, then we need to kill off sexual sin. According to a recent survey, 58% of pastors admit to viewing pornography in the last 30 days. About 90% of Christian men fall into the same category, according to a recent survey. These things ought not be my brothers. Amen? And we who are believers in Jesus Christ ought to be concerned not just about those things, but I can't tell you the number of weddings I have not performed in 15 years as a pastor because the couple is already living together. These things ought not be. Amen? If we are looking forward to reigning and living and dwelling with Jesus, which is what heaven is all about. It's, you know, people sometimes ask questions about, well, will there really be streets of gold? Will there really be blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't know. I'm not sure. If that's metaphorical language there at the end of, of the book where it's talking about those things, or if that's literally the way it is. But here's what I do know. And here's what the primary attraction of heaven is. That Jesus will be there. And that we will be there with him. And all of the other stuff is insignificant in comparison to that. That Jesus will be there. In addition to that... He says, evil desires and covetousness. And it's a fact that in our hearts, we often long to do that which we know is wrong. That's what he's talking about, evil desire. Right? And covetousness is longing for things that God has not given to us. And covetousness is another form, Paul says, of idolatry, of elevating stuff over God. And when we covet, what we're doing is essentially saying to God that His love for us, which results in His provision for us, is not sufficient, and He's holding out on us something we should have. And what we're saying is is that we would happily trade God in for better stuff. And that's not, that might not be true, but that's what we're saying when we engage in that. By the way, the reason that we need to kill our sin, according to, uh, according to the Scriptures here, is because God's wrath is already coming against people for these things, and we have been reborn so that we might live a new life. God didn't save us so that we could sin with impunity. Amen? He didn't save us so that we could go, well, hey, I'm covered now, so now I can do, you know, kind of whatever I want. No. He saved us so that we could experience new life and live that new life and put in the past permanently these things that belonged in the past. Amen? But since we have met Jesus, we need to be smothering that stuff. 
These things need to belong to the category of things we used to do when we were non-Christians, and now we don't do them anymore. And in addition to these, we need to get busy killing anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying. Our hearts need cleansing from the hatred and self-elevating pride that produce these things in us. Now, there's a couple other things I want to just highlight here quickly. Uh, in, these, in verse 9 and 10, Paul talks about the old self as something, this, that's his term for the way we were before we met Jesus. And it's something we need to put off. And then the new nature that we received from the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ is something we put on. And the imagery that's there is the idea of getting undressed and then dressed again. Now, I don't work out at Pierce nearly as often as I need to, okay? Just being honest about that. But last time I was there, last week, um, when I got done running and doing push-ups and stuff, trying to get, I'm trying to get back in shape, right? Or at least a different shape than round. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, when I got done, I was sweated wet, and I was stinky. Okay. Uh, when I come home from the gym and I've got that that shirt just coated and you know big ring everywhere, and you got that really gr- really good bo working from having been at the gym all that time, right? No one at my house, it's a funny thing, no one at my house wants to come up and give me a big hug. Even Nathan, who gives me a hug every time I come home, it's kind of like, mm, maybe later, right? <laughs> right? Um, why? Because you've got a bunch of stuff on you that is gross, right? And you need to peel that off and get clean and put on clean clothes. And the idea is the same here right? That you put off your old life and your old self like funky gym clothes, and you get a shower when you come to Christ, and then you get, then you put on something clean, right? So you, and, and by the way, when we deal with our sin, we need to be concerned not just to what, what we stop doing, but what we fill that space in our life with. Right? So we put off sin and we put on righteousness to fill that space that sin used to occupy. Right? Uh, it, you know, we want, to, we want to replace this with something positive, not simply eliminate it. Right? Um, according to verse 10. It doesn't happen all at once, but if we are believers, then we are in the process of being renewed and restored to the image of the God we were created to serve and to love and to follow. And verse 11 tells us that God doesn't play favorites in this. That no matter what your background is, no matter whether you had a past religious upbringing or whether you didn't, whether you were a a cultured and sophisticated person or whether you weren't. Whatever your past sins and past baggage and, and whatever your present struggles are, that you can be renewed. 
and put on the new self and put on Christ and His righteousness. And since effectively dealing with sin includes uh, putting off that stuff and putting on new stuff, uh, Paul tells us what to put on to replace it. So let me see that next slide again. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him Here's what Paul is saying, that we are the people whom God has chosen to save. We are God's beloved. We are the ones He is making holy. Going back to verse 4, we are the ones for whom Christ is coming in glory. And if all these things are true, then we ought to put on Christ's righteousness. And Christian holiness is not just a list of sins to avoid. It's the embrace and the exchange of those sins for something better and more enjoyable and deeper and richer and more satisfying. See, the great lie of sin, sin looks great from the outside. It really does. It's really appealing from the outside until you indulge in it, get close to it, and it sucks the soul out of you like that creature in Alien, right? It does, right? You've seen the movie, right? The guy appears to be fine. All of a sudden, he's eating dinner, and the thing eats his way out and runs over, grows into this giant monster, eats everyone on the ship, right? Um, except Sigourney Weaver, right? Right? <laughs> uh, she somehow, you know... By the way, just as an aside, how is it that every woman on like an alien movie or a cop show is able to just totally whack guys that weigh three times what she does? I don't understand this. I'm like, what universe is this they live in? I don't get it. You know, you know, 250-pound guy gets his head stove in by some girl that weighs 110, dripping wet, wearing her boots, right? Um, but in any case... The point is this, all right? That sin looks great from the outside. And then it kills you. Holiness is repellent from the outside until you experience it, and then it's incredibly satisfying and joy-bringing and life-sustaining. People look at holiness from the outside and they, they think that a Christian is like, it's like the worst thing possible that could happen to you is that you would become one of those people. Until you become one of those people and all of a sudden you say, I have found the one for, that my soul loves. And all of a sudden there is more satisfaction and joy than you have ever known in your life. And you start living 
to please the Lord, and you go, you know, this just works so much better. The great thing about, about beating your head against the wall is that it feels great when you stop. Okay? And all of a sudden, becoming to Christ is just like that. It feels great when you stop doing that stuff. And you start experiencing a whole new kind of life. And this is the life that, that Christ invites us to. And he gives us a list. And before we get into the list of things that he wants us to replace all the stuff of our old life, something you need to notice about these sins. The sins all are ones that we either engage in with someone or that negatively affect other people. Because you never sin all by yourself, right? You always hurt someone else in the process. In the same way, you do not practice virtue by yourself. These are things that Paul invites us to do together. That's why one another is in there, right? Uh, They are things which require relationships with other people to produce, which means that pursuing holiness is a team sport, if I can use that analogy. Uh, Christ is therefore not simply about uh, your relationship with Jesus is not just about me and Jesus, although there's an aspect to it that does involve that, right? You are saved individually, but you are saved into a body. And, and we need each other in order to grow up. It's about living in a particular way together. You know, Karen and I have often said about our marriage that when we got married, we were both pretty decent people, right? We thought. Until we married each other, and then we found out just how selfish and sinful and prideful that we were, right? And we never realized that, never knew that until we got together. And then all of a sudden, it was like all of my sin and evil was exposed, in relationship with this other person, right? Because I thought I was perfectly fine, right? In the way that I said things, the way that I treated people, the way that I interacted, right? And then I got married, and all of a sudden, the way I've been always living my life, all of a sudden, is causing someone else pain. And on top of that, it's someone I actually care about. And when I get confronted with that, I go, oh, that looks ugly. I'm going to have to fix that. I'm going to have to stop being such a selfish, prideful jerk and figure out how to live peacefully with this person because this is painful to watch her suffer as a result of my sin. Right? And all of a sudden, you begin to change. And you think you get that figured out, and then you have kids. And they can out-selfish you in, in, you know, two to one every time, right? Right? I mean, if you, it, it, and, and they come out of the womb selfish, you know? 
they start screaming whenever they need to eat. It's like, you know, you could just ask, right? You don't have to scream at me. And by the way, it's 3.30 in the morning. Have you considered this, right? (laughs) And if you would just stop, you know, taking the diaper off and smearing it on the wall, that would be great, right? But you learn how to deal with your child, right? And as you learn to do that, you become a less self-centered person and you begin to exhibit virtues that you didn't possess before. And this list of virtues that Paul gives, by the way, work the same way. And it's why God puts us in relationship with each other. It's why He gives us children. It's why He gives us spouses. It's why He gives us the church. It's that we get to practice doing this stuff, right? When you say, you know, I think I would like to be a more compassionate person. Do you know how you get to be more compassionate? You get opportunities to show compassion to people who are needy and need help. Do you know how you learn to be kind? By encountering people who need kindness. Maybe they're a little prickly. You know? Uh, How do you learn humility? By being in relationship with people. And learning to serve them in ways that maybe aren't the most exalted, right? How do you learn to be patient? Any clues? Guess what? You're, if you're in this church, or in any church, if you get close enough in relationship with people, you're going to find people. In fact, you're going to have a pastor who is going to require and who is going to test your patience with some things, right? Some things that are going to bug you that won't change immediately. You're going to have to learn to be patient. All of these virtues, forgiveness, forgiving as God has forgiven you, put on Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then the result of all these things is peace in your relationships, right? As you learn how to do this, you know, my goodness, God's grace kept Karen and I together. The first couple of years we were married, we were like metal on metal a lot of the time, okay? And... And you know what's happened after 20 years? We're at peace. We're happier together now than we have ever been in our lives. You know why? Because we were able over time to begin to allow love to conquer some of these sins that we were engaged in. And now we just have this wonderful, fun time together. we're not perfect. We still fight sometimes. But, but nevertheless, a whole lot less than we ever did when we were first married. And the same thing is true in the church, that as we learn to practice these virtues with each other, we reap love and peace 
as the outcome, right? I'm out of time, but if you got five minutes, here's five minutes on where we go from here, all right? Number one, go to the next slide here, Elijah. What remnants of my old self still need to be executed? All of our sins lie to us. They promise us life and happiness if we indulge them. But in reality, what they do is they suck out our joy, they destroy our lives and our relationships, and they separate us from God. Sin is not a nice little hobby you have on the side. It is a life and death struggle. And we've got to be killing our sin by the power of God or it's going to be killing us. Amen? Number two. Uh, Go to the next one here. Yeah. When my sin is exposed in relationships, do I kill my sin or do I run from the relationship? Because see, that's what a lot of us do, right? Ooh, that looked really ugly. I don't like... I don't like people knowing about me. Okay, time to find a new place, a new relationship, a new spouse, a new something. i got to change. I'm gone. And rather than confront our sin and, and deal with it, we run from the relationship. But in reality, what we most need is to draw near to each other and to help each other draw near to Christ. Sin in the church is not a shocking thing. It's a reality that we are all dealing with and a reality we all need to confront together and encourage each other to deal with. Amen? We, still, we all know we still fight against our old self, but our love for each other and our love for Christ ought to compel us together to put together, to put to death sin, not to run away and try to hide it. Uh, number three, what's my attitude toward the church? How do you think of it? Uh, do you think of it as something that Jesus created? Go to the next one here. Yeah. Uh, as something that Jesus created so we'd have something to do once a week? Uh, as a gathering of believers who serve and worship together? As a body I'm joined to spiritually, but which I don't really see the point behind? According to this text, according to Colossians chapter 3, the church is the place where I learn to live and love like Jesus and become the sort of people that He called us and saved us to be. It's in the church that we establish what, what are, in a sense, outposts of heaven. Places where God's people dwell in peace and love with each other and where Christ already rules over all things. That's what the church is. It's an outpost of heaven. And the people who live there, who are members of it, are to reflect the reality that they have already been saved together from the things of their old life and are, have already received a new life and therefore practice that new life with one another. Amen? 
Last question. Go to the next one here. What's the end of my life? What's the end? What's at the finish line? If I, if I imagine my life and I look, look at it from the perspective of today and I go, what is the goal? What's the end point? If you got everything that you ever wanted, what would you possess? Let me just remind you, anything material, anything in this life, anything including even the best blessings and best relationships that you possess, if you possess them apart from Jesus, it is not a sufficient goal. All of those things eventually will disappoint you. Cars rust, houses fall down, Sometimes spouses leave, and if they don't leave, one or the other of you will die. All things apart from Jesus will disappoint you and will hurt you. And all of them will perish with your death apart from Jesus. So enjoy the things of this life, but remember, Jesus is the end. He is the treasure that we strive toward. He is the point. He is the goal for which we are living. He is the person that we long to see. So together, let's fix our eyes on Jesus at the finish line and order our lives accordingly. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful 